Welcome to the 13th episode of the What Happened Last Week in Kurdistan podcast. As always, this podcast is based on the newsletter, What Happened Last Week in Kurdistan. And if you go to our Instagram, whlw Kurdistan, you can find links to the newsletter, as well as our Patreon, if you'd like to support us on there. I am your host, I am Gilles Shwani, and today's episode is divided into two parts. The first part is news from Kurdistan. We have news from three parts of Kurdistan this week. And part two of the podcast is an interview with co-founder of Paik Bookstore, Sham Sahibkran. Before I get started and get into the news, I just want to let you guys know I'm a little sick this week, so I apologize if the podcast uh, sounds a little bit odd or my voice sounds a little bit odd. Anyways, so getting right into it, in Rojava this week, the SDF denies any involvement in Idlib. As you guys already know, the war for Syria is still ongoing. There are many factions fighting. There are many forces trying to take the different parts of the country. And thankfully, the war for Aleppo sort of ended last night. But the war for Idlib is still continuing. And there were reports saying that in an attempt to take back Idlib, the SDF were helping the Syrian regime. They were helping Assad in that fight against the FSA. But they have come out and thoroughly rejected this idea, saying that these reports are incorrect and the SDF is not involved in any way. And really, I understand why such a report would come out, because, you know, right now in many parts of Rojava, the SDF are at the mercy of Russia, right? Because, you know, America left, Russia came in, and yada, yada, yada. But... Yeah, it doesn't seem like they will be helping in that war. In fact, like the SDF are already low on resources. They are taking a lot taking in a lot of refugees. They are, you know, still holding like 10,000 ISIS fighters and their family members in prison cells and they barely have enough resources to cover those. So I it wouldn't make sense for them to go into this war unless they get some kind of amenities from uh from the Syrian regime. But Seeing that the Syrian regime wants the SDF as weak as possible, I don't see how that would be happening. So, yeah, it it doesn't make a lot of sense for that. These reports are saying the SDF would, you know, come into Idlib and fight for Assad. Anyways, that is all the news from Rojava. We're going to move on now to Bashur. So moving on to Bashur, we're going to talk about something that, honestly, at this point, it feels like a weekly thing. Um... I don't know if it makes me laugh or <laughs> I'm sad about it. Don't get me wrong. It makes me laugh because it's utterly stupid. Um, but I'm kind of sad that, you know, it makes the news in the first place. All right. I'm just going to get into it. So, you know, we talked about Malaz and religious scholars and whatever they are um, a couple weeks ago. And we talked about them the week before that as well. You know, it's been continuous. And this week, there's another Mela who's in the news. So, uh, Mala Ali Kalak, he was briefly detained in Saudi Arabia before being released on accusations of deception under the name of religion. All right. So before I get to why he was, uh, you know, what those deceptions were, I'm going to tell you about this guy. First of all, if you don't know this guy, lucky you. This guy is, ew, you know, who um, he's infamous in the region for claiming that he can cure like any disease. And just guess what his cures for these diseases are. You're not going to believe it, man. All right. This guy says, you know, eating dates will cure your disease. 
reading Quranic verses or listening to Quranic verses that's going to cure your disease. The worst part, the worst thing, the worst thing that he, you know, prescribes to his patients is the fact that he says, if you drink the urine of your sibling or of a camel, you can potentially cure a certain disease. Well, anyways, this time he was in Saudi Arabia and he claimed that he had cured an old mind, an old man from blindness. And obviously he didn't, you know, he celebrated his lie. That's what I'm going to call it. It's a lie. He celebrated his lie by mixing some milk with camel urine and just drank it. He just drank it. Ah, I don't think that needs like any further comment for me. Um, just the fact that that's a story is incredible. But I'm, I'm going to move on now to uh, some more impactful news. Something I want to get away from the malaise, you know. All right, so on to some more impactful news and potentially good news. Um, so after the 2017 fiasco, the referendum that really led to Kurds losing Kirkuk and many other disputed areas, it seems like things are kind of getting better again, because at that time, you know, Kurdistan, the KRG went against the advice of many countries. And because of that, the KRG was shunned for a period of time. But it seems that things are changing again, because, because the Kurdish delegation was really at the heart of the Munich Security Conference. So, so the conference, the Kurdish delegation and the Kurdish PM were meeting with high ranking officials from the US, Russia, the UK, as well as other uh, countries and delegates from other countries. And they were talking about issues of trade, energy and security, kind of what the region really needs right now. This is really positive. We're not going to bore you with all the little details, all the logistical details, but I'm just going to round it up by saying that it seems like Kurdistan will be a key figure going forward in terms of security. So that's security regarding ISIS and Iran. And also the energy sector, the oil sector of Kurdistan might be getting a lift, which again is good for the economy. Although I really do wish we would diversify our economy because that oil is not going to last. And if there's a dip in prices of oil, we are screwed. I mean, we're, we're already screwed, but you know, we'd be more screwed. Um, but, and lastly, there might be more trade, you know, more imports from other countries. Um, depending on how you feel about importing all your goods, this is good or bad news, but just, you know, strengthening ties with other countries. This is really, really great. So, you know, this is our good news of the week. Let's hope it goes well. All right, moving on from that. For, so for the past couple of months, every time we do an episode, well, not every time, but on and off, we talk about the PUK and their conference and their new system of leadership and all that. Well, things might be going down the toilet. All right, let me explain that. Um, so the PUK were supposed to have elected two leaders to co-lead the party. You know, they were supposed to have their co-leadership already by this week. And things didn't really go according to plan because on the eve of the announcement of announcing those two co-leaders, former political bureau member Sheikh Jafar, he went on Voice of America and attacked the new leadership and accused them of treachery on October 16th. And if you don't know, October 16th was the day that Iraq took back Kirkuk from Kurdistan. And that was a really painful day for a lot of Kurds. 
And on that day, the PUK just fell back and they allowed Iraq to take it. You know, there were talks of deals between the PUK and Iraq and Iran because, you know, Iraq really is the proxy for Iran. Anyways, um, so yeah, Sheikh Jafar, he goes on Voice of America and he says these kind of things. And obviously the party wasn't too happy with him. And the next day, there were multiple nude images of him leaked online and he was with this unknown woman here's the thing i understand party politics and i I understand that politics is dirty i get that but this is just really like i don't i don't understand how we haven't moved past this how many how many times has this happened how many times has this happened how come we have not moved past you know, the leaking of nude images, whether it's male or female politicians. Really, this is where we are as a people. This is where we are as a culture. Revenge porn, that's the highest level of threat we give each other. (sighs) This is frustrating. This is really frustrating because I've I've seen this happen so many times. I'm, I'm not a fan of Sheikh Jafar. I don't care about the PUK. I mean, I wanted to see them come back to strength because that would have helped us see a bit more balance in KRG politics. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not partisan, you know, I don't care. What I care about is the fact that this is still the behavior of our people. This is still the the punishment we give politicians. This is still the punishment we give people in general i don't get it like it happens with teenagers it happens with adults it happens with public figures really are you freaking kidding me anyways um soon after this uh after the leaking of the nude images kusrad rasul who was the former deputy and current head of political council he altered the announcement of leadership for at least two weeks why we don't really know we don't know for sure, uh, but the rumors are that he wants two deputies in place, uh, one of them being his son. So after a shocking, a shockingly successful conference, which it looked like we would have seen a more strong um, PUK, it seems like the party's back to its old self, which is just internal conflict. This is this is just terrible because i was i was hopeful for for a little bit i was hopeful that the puk was going to get back to what it was and then there's going to be some more balance of power and if there's more balance of power there's less monopoly on 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 the government and that means the people of kurdistan get some get a better deal you know because they would be in some ways competing for their for the people's loyalty and votes but yeah i'm gonna move on from this ISIS making movements in Khanaqin. So ISIS bombarded the village of Bahara in Khanaqin, or rather near Khanaqin, with mortars resulting in the injuries of two while not too far away from there an IED went off and that kind of killed two people. May they both rest in peace. Uh, it's worth mentioning that Iraq's conflicts with protesters, you know, the popular mobilization units, so the Hajj al-Shaabi, the PMUs, and Iranian interference has further paved way for ISIS's return, especially in recent weeks. Now, this is what I don't get, right? 
this is what I don't get. I understand that ISIS still have their sleeper cells and they still have uh, some of their resources and they still have some of their uh, people who can, you know, strategize. There's an international coalition, okay? There's an international coalition and even Iran who's against, you know, you know, technically speaking, even Iran who's against the coalition are anti-ISIS. So essentially, the entire world is against ISIS. But they can be wiped out? Really? Really? Now you know what you gotta do to wipe out something like ISIS. Alright? ISIS would be nothing without the popular support. Now whether we like it or not, ISIS has support in some places of the world. That includes certain parts of Iraq. Because the conflict between Sunnis and Shias in Iraq has led to radicalization. And that radicalization leads people to support ISIS. But don't get me wrong. These people, Sunnis and Shias, the average people, the normal people, they don't want to kill their neighbors. They don't want to kill people of different faiths. They might not want to, you know, be their friend, but they don't want to kill them either. So the, the way to get rid of something like ISIS is to invest in the people. Iraq knows this. I don't understand the, 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 the reason, the logic behind what Iraqi politicians are doing. Is it, are they, they that much of an ideologue? Do they care that much about ideology and politics that they don't realize a small change in their behavior would stabilize the region and the country? Invest in the people, give people opportunities, give them a, a decent life, give them some dignity to live with, and nobody's going to be supporting like uh, groups like ISIS. Nobody's going to be supporting groups like Hajj al-Shabi, like, you know, the PMUs. Anyways, um, I'm, I'm in a ranting mood this week. <laughs> oh, man. That is all the news from Bashur this week. We're going to move on to Rojhalat now. And in Rojhalat this week, Iran's brutality goes unnoticed. So here's the weird thing, okay? Iran is a brutal country. All right. And right now they have international media focused on them in terms of their actions, in terms of what they do. So it's a little shocking how little how little news actually reports on the brutal atrocities that the country has and continues to commit. In the past week alone, they have sentenced seven Kurds, seven Kurds in seven days to hanging. And all of these were on various false accusations, the real reason being that they're parts of groups who advocate for Kurdish rights, you know, and Kurdish movements. And really, if this wasn't enough, their forces also shot openly at border couriers. The Kolbers, the border couriers that we talked about multiple times on this podcast, and at least 10 of them were killed. I mean, what do you say here? Honestly, what do you say? It, it's a little odd you know, to say the least, how little news reports on what happens to the Kurds in Iran, in Rojhalat. And even weirder is how much little news comes out. Because you have America. Dude, America got their hands on, it was like 700 pages 
of confidential Iranian documents filled with information about their politicians, about their deals in Iran, in Syria, in Iraq, in the Kurdish, everything. So you're telling me they're able to get their hands on something like that, translate it, use it, publish it. Something that confidential. But they can't really get news about what's happening to the to the minorities in that country? Really? Are you are you serious? It's really heartbreaking what happens to Kurds in Iran, and we'll try to report on it as much as we can, as much as news as we get. And we'll try to have a guest on very soon to talk about the situation there. But if there's any way you guys know we can help, whether it's through donations to the families of Kolbers and uh, these border couriers, whether it's through any means, uh, please let us know. You can contact us on our email or you can uh, contact us at our Instagram. That is all the news for this week on the podcast. Next up is an interview with Sham Sahib Khran, who is the co-founder of Paik Bookstore. With us on the podcast this week is Sham Sahib Khran. Sham is the co-founder of the online bookstore Paik. Sham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So we already did this interview before. This is actually our second time doing the interview. We had some audio issues the first time. Um, but like last time, I think it would be nice to start with uh, ha- uh, with novels, with books. So Sham, what kind of books do you enjoy reading? Do you have a favorite? Do you have any authors you really enjoy listen, uh, reading? Well, there are, that's a tough question, Jude, but uh, I'll try to narrow it down as much as I can. Um, right. I grew up uh, reading like many different genres of books, but if I had to name a few, I'd say any book by J.R. Tolkien, so yeah. The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. I think those are some pretty good books. Um, they never get old. Uh, I grew up reading a lot of Russian authors as well. Uh, Leo Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, um, controversial Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita. So a lot of uh, Russian authors as well. But if I had to pick one book that I love reading and I would recommend to anyone, it's a short story uh, by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and it's called Chronicle of a Death Foretold. That's a really good book. Can you tell us a little bit about the book, about the plot of the book? Yeah, so uh, it's this guy... Uh, there's a murder that's happened in a town uh, and this guy kind of uh, goes back to the town and he's reconstructs the story of what happened and like there was a murder that happened there and that he's trying to figure out who actually killed uh, the victim and it's a really good story the way it's told and I recommend that I don't want to give too much away <laughs> I'd rather someone go buy it and read it. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, you also said you like uh, Tolkien's work. Uh, I remember when I was reading it back in ninth grade, which yeah. I think a lot of people like uh, that I know read it also around that time. One thing I noticed and one thing I loved and sometimes hated it as well, depended on you know the moments, was just how um, descriptive Tolkien is in his writing. Yeah, he is. Um, He's very, very descriptive. And I remember last time when we were talking, 
He also talked about uh, Bakhtiar Ali and how descriptive he is. Yeah, he definitely is very descriptive in yeah. his writing. <laughs> yeah, he has his own very specific style. I mean, both Bakhtiar Ali and Tolkien, now that I'm having to compare the two, I've never thought I had to do that. Yeah, I mean, right. With Tolkien, you have a man that's basically created his own universe, if you will. You know, he has his own kingdoms, his own language. And mm. so it's very thorough. And I guess it has to be detailed. Bakhtar Ali, on the other hand, it's his style. He's very, like, he expresses everything. So when you're reading his books, you feel like you're actually there. You can, you know, you're in the room if he's describing a room for you. So very, very yeah. descriptive, I guess, both of them. Very descriptive and really very good depending about depending on what kind of style of writing you like to read. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's get a little bit into Pake itself. You are the co-founder of Pake. Yes. Um, first of all, uh, what does Pake mean? So this is a question we get asked quite a lot. Uh, Pake is a Kurdish word. Uh, it means in Kurdish, namaber. Uh, meaning someone that brings a message and a messenger, but not in the religious term. So um, it's used a lot in uh, classical Kurdish and uh, Iranian uh, literature and uh, poetry. And where we took it from is from uh, the classical Kurdish poet Nali's uh, poem, which is called Chaman. It's a letter that he's written to another poet, Salem. And in there, the word is mentioned. And we just fell in love with it, really, with um, the other co-founder, Jiwar, and we kind of consider ourselves as cake. So we yeah. are like that middleman that's bringing books from outside of Kurdistan to Kurdistan. Yeah. Now, what's the process of bringing those books? What is the difficulty there? Uh, the difficulty is in shipping, and that's just because shipping takes a while to come to Iraq. So if you want to order a book through us, uh, I would prefer to have the book delivered to you within the next day or within the week, but I have to go to shipping companies and uh, make contracts with them. So shipping uh, takes time, but I can't say I've had much difficulty with it. Uh, it's been quite rather easy to ship books from the United Kingdom, from the United States and other European countries as well to Iraq. It's just it takes time. Mm. Yeah. Now imagine, uh, you know, buying things online uh, from Kurdistan or from Iraq is a can be a little difficult to task sometimes. Was that how Pake started? What What was the reason that you guys were like, we need to uh, start this company for books? Well, many reasons, but to name a few, uh, uh, it started a little over four years ago. The idea it was towards my last semester at university. Both me and Jiwar. We are avid readers. We're obsessed with books. We love reading uh, literature, poetry, and we'd always talk about it. And we'd say to each other how we both have a dream one day to open a bookstore. And he'd say it. And then one day he was like, you know what? Let's just do it and yeah. see like, if it works, it works. If it fails, then it fails. And uh, the other reason was really because books weren't that easy to get here. There's a lot of pirated copies in the bazaar, in the market. And these are copies where someone buys it, they take it to Iran or Syria, in most cases, to a publishing house, and they have like they print it in the bulk, and then they sell these pirated copies, and usually they're bad quality and they're illegal, you know, at the end of the day. So we were like, okay, we want to be able to bring original 
copies of books, and that's been engraved in our like mission for Pig, original copies only. And we want to make books obviously as accessible to people in Kurdistan and in all of over Iraq, make it as accessible as can be. Books shouldn't be something difficult to get your hands on. That's very true. No, I completely agree. Um, but regarding that accessibility, considering that most of the books that you bring in are English, what is the market like? What, what has been the reaction of the community to Pig? The reaction has been very, very positive. Uh, I think uh, what we've done with Pig is obviously we've taken into regard the marketing aspect of it. So it's not just, okay, I'm going to sell books uh, to you. We've come up with like a very nice packaging design, like this parcel with a thread. And we have our own bookmarks. So our bookmarks feature works of local artists on there. And so that kind of makes it fun. So whenever you order a book, uh, the whole process of it is very enjoyable when it mm. is delivered to you. What we've also done is, because we don't have a proper physical store, we have somewhat like a half store, half office space. What we've done is uh, we have pickup locations. So we've worked with other small startup businesses around uh, Kurdistan. So uh, the Bus Cafe in Erbil, Jan Cafe and Ghazalus Cafe in Slemani, Ranj Bookstore in Rania. And we're also currently working on uh, trying to get a place in Baghdad. We also have a place in Kirkuk. These are pickup really? locations. And in most cases, they're a place where you go and sit down we send our books there you when you order the book and you pick it up there you don't pay the delivery charge or the de delivery fee instead you go you get your book and then uh, you can also enjoy a coffee at one of these locations so it's great, great for us and it's great for the other businesses well we're kind of working with each other to support each other so that's something we've also done to make it uh fun for readers yeah now talking about businesses i imagine starting a business in KRG isn't the simplest task in the world. There are, there are Definitely not. Hurdles. How, what were some of the complications that you had to get over while starting Pig? Well, first, to start off with the biggest complication, as most startups and businesses, not just mine, face, is that if you have anything that's online, it's a bit difficult because this category of like online business is very new compared to other businesses that uh, exist before. Uh, we had to register as a bookstore as opposed to being a online bookstore because there was no uh, category for online bookstore when we were going to register. So there, like that being said, there's also like discussion right now at these um, you know, entrepreneurial business startup events that are happening, happening around the country. They are talking about you know, trying to make it easy for uh, young business owners, for entrepreneurs to be able to register their business and, you know, get funding and uh, continue with their work. So there is a conversation that started about it. But in terms of registering, oh, my God, it's quite a process. Honestly, yeah. it takes a lot of time. And any office work in Kurdistan, as any Kurdish person who's ever lived here knows, is just difficult. Going to the passport office to get, like, your passport is, like, like a field day and now imagine if you're trying to register a business so uh, it's been quite difficult but hopefully uh over time it will get easier it'll get easier now i remember i remember how just how difficult it is to get any kind of work done there um yeah. for when i was a kid i remember going to get my passport 
uh, renewed, I think. I'm not sure whether it was to get it renewed or to get my passport for the first time. Yeah. I think it took us about three days of waiting in line. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, so the 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 bureaucracy and the red tape in Kurdistan are really just nightmarish. Um, but we saw not too long ago businesses like uh, Bus, Bus Cafe or Bill getting closed down. Mm, have, yeah. you, have you had any problem with authorities or any problem with uh, uh, other businesses or any problem in general regarding your business after it was opened? Um, no, I can't say personally I have. My reaction has been very positive. And I think that one of the main reasons that we've been very, uh, uh, like we haven't ha- faced too many difficulties as of yet, uh, is that because we're trying to be as professional as we can be with our business and our business model. And how is that? I mean, we have put in our mission to sell original copies only. And part of the reason for that is because we understand the process, obviously, that it takes to write a book, you know, from writing it to typing it to editing it to reviewing it and finally to printing it. So we understand that process. And we also have, because we know how thorough it is and we have our own books that we're working on, we understand that uh, that is not an easy thing to do. Therefore, we have a respect for intellectual property and we want to sell uh, original copies, not fake or pirated copies. The other part is that we want the Kurdish book market to be recognized internationally. And that's for international publishers, authors, you know, to come and, you know, have their books be sold here, read here, and vice versa, you know, Kurdish authors and writers to have their work be sent outside. And for me to be able to do that, I have to be very professional. I have to uphold my business to the same standard that a bookstore in London, England, would also hold so i think because we've been very careful about that and like that aspect uh things have been very haven't been very difficult for example if someone here wants to translate a book these pirated copies you see in bazaar uh a translator or someone who like is bilingual brings a book and they translate it into kurdish and they have it sold without the permission of the author without the permission of the publishing house we've taken our Uh, bookstore a step further and we've actually purchased an ISBN an ISBN is an international standard book number so besides getting permission and copyright from the publisher we also have to purchase an ISBN and basically what this is this is like a product identifier Mm. Uh, our book is internationally recognized as being you know the Kurdish translated version of this book for example so I guess if you like for all businesses, if they try to not, you know, find loopholes and try to, you know, bend the law a little bit, if they try to be very professional about it, I don't think you would face too many difficulties. That's been my experience so far. Hmm. Now, you also mentioned that you're working on your own books. Yes, we are. Working on, is Pig working on their own books? Yes, we definitely are. Um, so far, it's just translated works. Obviously, uh, the dream was to open a bookstore, but the goal at this point is uh, a publishing to become a publishing house. So as of now, there are uh, three authors that we are working with. Uh, the first is Philippe Claudel, a French author who's written a book, Grey Souls, and uh, it's currently in the final stages. We're working on like illustrations for the cover of the book, and it's been a little over a year we're working on this book. Uh, another author is uh, Edgar Carret, 
the Israeli author. And uh, our co-founder, Jiwar, is uh, having that translated in a collection of his stories. Uh, another one is uh, Carlos Ruiz Zafon, who is known for his uh, fantasy novels. So we're currently in the talks with uh, his publisher and we're trying to, we're waiting for an approval to get his work translated. So right now we're working on works that are um, foreign to be translated into Kurdish. Uh, definitely for the future, we'd like to work on uh, young adult books, uh, children's board books, as well as having some local authors that have a story that they want to uh, have published or a book they want to have published. No, that's really great, uh, especially the fact that you guys are bringing in uh, some foreign literature into Kurdish markets uh, and, you know, in a, in a good translation. Um, I also notice on your Instagram page, when yes. you scroll down, you see Malala's book. <clears throat> um, is that a book that's been very popular? Because I know if you go to the bookshops in Kurdistan, you usually see a lot of the classics. You usually see... Yeah. A lot of the old books and old translations, but they're still very relevant and popular in Kurdistan. But you know, now Malala's book is a very modern book. It tackles some of uh, some of modernity's problems. Is that something that's more popular and it, gaining it, momentum it, now? It definitely, it's a quite a pleasant surprise. It, not only are the classics, uh, you know, sold a lot through us. Uh, also, these new books, biographies, best current bestsellers, anything that is new right now there's definitely a younger generation i would say uh that wants to like has a demand for such books and with us we try to focus on more not so much you know what's bestseller what's a book that's famous or a book that has become famous just because its movie has come out we focus a lot on local authors so a book that we have that sold very well is a uh, bakhtiar ali's uh Darias and Lashakan, and uh, Abdullah Pasheo has a book that's been translated into in English as well that we'll be selling very soon. So that's something we look uh, forward to, Dictionary of Midnight. Um, Sherko Bekas's very famous and beautiful poem, uh, Butterfly Valley, which has been translated by Dr. Choman Herdi. That's a book that uh, we also have, and it's a there's a bilingual version where you have the Kurdish text on one side, English on the other so definitely like there's a market for new books and old books but for these books that are just now being translated or you know just now are coming out or being compiled by authors there's also a demand for books like that hmm. yeah and how is the uh, what is the rate so what is the rate of English readers in Kurdistan you know are there more English readers in Kurdistan than you initially expected? Or yes, there are. So hmm. Pig isn't an English-only bookstore. I sell books in English, French, German, Persian, Arabic, you name it. If you want a book, I will try whatever I can to get my hands on it and to bring it to you. But the majority, of course, is in English. So we've been around for uh, almost two, two years now. And we've sold a little over 6,000 books. The majority has been in English. Mm. So if I had to base the research on my group that I've sold to, there's a lot of English readers in, in the uh, uh, Hawler, uh, 
Slemani, Kirkuk, Zaho area. Definitely a lot of English uh, readers. Wow. And last time we also talked a little bit about the literacy rates in Kurdistan and Iraq. Mm. Now yeah. you told me that that's been uh, sort of coming down. The literacy rate is so lowering. I think the last time there was a research conducted on this, uh, I think was it either 2015 or 2018, I'm not sure, but literacy rates in Iraq is somewhere between 50 to 55%. So meaning that that percentage uh, can read and write, the rest can't. And that is quite a big number uh, very... for people being illiterate. And uh, so that definitely does affect things, uh, affect, uh, you know, obviously our business and other things, but it also puts into perspective that there should be more uh, more of an effort to make reading and writing something that everyone should uh, have, you know, everyone should be able to read and write. And I think uh, that will push us to do the children's board books and the young adult books, because reading and writing, people can speak, but the only reason they read and write is because they go to school. Reading shouldn't be like reading books for pleasure. That's not something that you're really people go towards unless, you know, you end up learning it as a young child that, oh, I can read for pleasure or you just decide you like to read for pleasure. Otherwise, people just read and they write only because uh, they have to in school. So if you don't end up going to school, you're less likely to read books for pleasure. Right. And obviously so, it does yeah. it does have an effect on the on the individual whether they read or write. You know, besides the obvious uh the obvious uh reasons to be able to read and write, you know, just you know, getting information, conveying information. Mm. There's another aspect of it which is it, it affects what kind of individual you are, how you act and how you react. Now, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed, considering that I'm a writer myself, I'm a mm. little embarrassed to say I can't really get my little sister to read. Do you have any, do you have any advice on that? You can't what, get can your I, what? Sorry? I can't get my little sister to read. Oh, she's I, not into it. Oh. She's not I, into I know. It. I buy her books all the time. I have <laughs> given her so much. Like, do you have any advice how I can, you know, so that's get a, her interested in reading? That's a problem with this uh like we, I'm quite young myself, I'm 25, but I would say with the younger generation, <laughs> the younger even with generation. my generation, honestly, and the one like above me as well, there are many people that don't read, but especially with this generation, like, okay, they are partial, like partially you can blame them, but you also have to blame, obviously, social media and technology because this generation doesn't have the time and focus to just sit and read. You know, they're tired. Their their minds are consuming so many images and pictures every day. Everything's so fast. It's quick, you know. So they don't have yeah. the time to just sit and read. I think it takes, what, 12 days to make something a habit? Uh, isn't that what they say? I think, I think it's 21. I'm not saying yeah, it's 21. Okay, well, 12. But um, <laughs> I think just buy short stories. The problem is when someone says, and I've noticed this a lot as a bookstore owner, they say, I want to start reading again. And I'm like, great. Okay, so what books uh, are you into? And they're like, oh, I like this. I like fiction. No, don't start with something that's so needs a lot of concentration, needs a lot of focus. Like, don't read uh, The Brothers Karamazov. Don't read Anna Karenina, you know? Don't read uh, Game of Thrones or even Lord of the Rings for that matter. That needs 
not necessarily concentration, but for someone that doesn't read quite regularly on a regular basis, you should start with short stories, you know, mm. something short where once you finish it, you feel a sense of accomplishment and then you want to continue to read more. Um, I also recommend poetry because poetry doesn't really need you to, you know, leave a bookmark somewhere and go back to it. Poetry you can enjoy in the middle of, of its page, you know. Mm. So that's what I would say. I'd say start with something that's short, sweet, and they, where they feel like they have, like it's an easy read in a sense for them. Okay, I will. That's what I would I'll, recommend. I don't know. Try it. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> I will apply your advice and I'll see if I can get my sister to read a bit more. Um, do, you, do you read any Kurdish? So here's the thing, and I feel very embarrassed to say, uh, I don't read, read sorry as much Kurdish as I do English. And that's because I've been educated in English, both from uh, my school education, university, and I use English more in my workplace than I do Kurdish. Of course, Kurdish is my mother tongue, um, and I speak both very fluently. But when it comes to reading, I find that I read in Kurdish much slower than I do compared to the English. Therefore, I don't read as much in Kurdish. But what I do read is um, I enjoy poetry a lot. Mm, so I read poetry. a lot of classical Kurdish poetry. Um, Kurdi, Mahwi, Pyramid, Sheikh Raza. Uh, Talabani, Jgarhwen, these are all uh, like poetry I enjoy. Sherko Bekas, of course. My own personal favorite is uh, him and Mukriani. I really enjoy his poems. And fun fact for you and for anyone who's listening so my last name is uh, Sahib Khran, mm. and I come from a line of very famous classical poets. So uh, Salem, which Salem Street in Sleimani is named after. Yeah. Uh, Kurdi and Hamdi, all three of them are Sahab Khan. Really? Yes. So I come from a oh, line boy. of famous classical poets. <laughs> yeah. And I, own a road in, and I own a road in Sleman. <laughs> no joking. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but no, yeah. but you know, as, as a Kurd, that's really like one of the highest honors one could have being yeah, Definitely. definitely. It's such an honor. Group. Okay, so then I'm gonna ask you what you would recommend uh, to our to our listeners for them to read in Kurdish. Well, in Kurdish, definitely, if I had to uh, recommend an author, I would say Bakhtiar Ali. Uh, his poems, are, his uh, sorry stories, his books are very good, but they are quite detailed. So if you're just starting to read in Kurdish, you might find it a little difficult. So what I would yeah. start with, I really do enjoy. Uh, Dr. Choman Herdi's translation of uh, Butterfly Valley, Sherko Bekas's Butterfly Valley. And you kind of have, like I mentioned before, the bilingual version where there's a Kurdish on one side, English on the other. It's just beautiful. It, uh, he sort of like talks about the atrocities of the Enfal whilst also describing the beauty of nature and uh, Kurdish history. It's, it's just one of the most beautiful poems. And I think if you want to start reading for someone that doesn't read often in Kurdish, that's a book I would recommend. Okay. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great recommendation to go out on. Sham, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank, thank you, you for so much. So spas. <laughs> My pleasure. Mm -hmm. And thank you for Pake Bookstore. It's honestly one of the greatest innovations in 
uh, KRG businesses right now. And I'm really happy Thank that it, you. it exists. It gives so many people to read foreign works. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Okay. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it helpful. And I hope you also enjoyed the interview. If you'd like to keep up with us, you can go to our Instagram, whlw Kurdistan, And from there, you can find links to our newsletter, as well as our Patreon, if you'd like to support us on there. We appreciate any kind of support on Patreon, as we are in a fully independent podcast. I have been your host. I have been Jeet Shwani. Thank you once again for listening, and I hope you all have a great week.